breathing. You're doing it right now. Hopefully you don't hear me doing it because that means my microphone's up too high, but you're going to do it about 22,000 times today. Sometimes we take it for granted. Certainly if our breathing is labored, that's all we can think about. Jeremy, have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like it was you had a hard time breathing? Uh I always think of the times when other people are having a hard time breathing and it makes me have a hard time breathing because I'm worried that they're having a hard time breathing. <laughs> is that okay? Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. It's, it shows you have empathy, but it also, yeah, I, I, I've been there as well. Uh, but thankfully we have people like our upcoming guests that can actually manage the situation a lot better than we probably did or could. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the health effects of air pollution remain a public health concern worldwide. So exposure to air pollution has many, many substantial adverse effects on human health. So globally, according to the WHO, 7 million deaths annually are attributable to the joint effects of household and ambient air pollution. How do we know if the air we're breathing will or can harm us? And with the recent wildfires in Canada and the dramatic and shocking images of New York City skyline looking blood red from smog and wildfire smoke... Our respiratory health has been even more present in the media lately. Jeremy, have you seen any of those images from, I, I mean, really anywhere, but I know it, like the, the East Coast has been hit pretty hard and now, you know, a lot of uh, of the northern Midwest too. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of them and they're, they're incredibly scary. And what it got me thinking about was, A, I wanted to do an episode like this where we talked about what any of that means, but also how many things that you just talked about that we're breathing that we can't see. Yeah. Right. So like, like that, that's the obvious one. Like when you walk outside and it looks like you're in a volcano and you're like, I probably shouldn't be breathing right now. But the question then becomes is there's been times where I feel like I've walked outside and you know, that air quality index thing that tells mm-hmm. me like, I shouldn't have gone out, but like, it looked fine. Like, is that a problem? That's what made me think. So yeah. How, how do we know if the air that we're breathing, you know, can harm us, right? Um, how do our lungs defend themselves? How can we help them defend themselves? Can we practice preventive habits to give our lungs the best chance possible? So thankfully, meaningful research exists to provide helpful data on how to protect our lungs from environmental insults, whether they're inside our homes or floating on the breeze. So let's learn more, shall we? And thankfully, we have a wonderful expert guest in the field of respiratory health to educate us today so we can breathe easier. So ready. Let's do it. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name is Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right. So we're back to talk about breathing and all the things that get in its way. Uh, And I would love to welcome our amazing guest, Dr. Brady Scott. Uh, Dr. Scott is the program director for the respiratory care program, and he is the associate professor in the Department of Cardiopulmonary Sciences in the College of Health Sciences at Rush University. He's been a respiratory therapist for more than 20 years with clinical practice experience in adult emergency and critical respiratory care. So Dr. Scott, Brady, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Awesome. Um, as, as we typically ask a lot of our, uh, esteemed guests, uh, give us your origin story. How, how'd you get here? Well, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a long story. I'll try to keep it short. So I'm a, uh, I'm a first generation college graduate, um, and I went to school to be a nurse and we see how that turned out. 
Uh, I actually spent the first two years of college uh, in a pre-BSN nursing program. And for whatever reason, it just didn't feel right for me. So I started looking around. So this is like the late 1990s. So I looked less on the internet, more on pamphlets and found a respiratory care program. And um, I filled out an application and I went to school to be a respiratory therapist. And I took my first job. I moved from Kentucky, where I was born and raised, if you haven't picked up on my Southern accent by now. I was born and raised in uh, Southeast Kentucky, which is an area that we call Central Appalachia. And mm-hmm. I took my first job in Durham, North Carolina. I worked at Duke University Medical Center for 10 years and uh, was very happy. And one day I got an email about some place in Chicago. And I'd never heard of Rush at the time. And I knew about Chicago was the 90s Bulls, um, the Cubs, cold, and that's about it. And I thought it might have been in Illinois. I wasn't sure. So, and then, uh, and then I took a plane ride, come up and interviewed for a job uh, in, mostly in the hospital. I had no real um, interest in academics. And about 10 years later, here we are. I'm an associate professor. People call me doctor. It's not what I planned for it to all happen, but that's what it is now. Yeah. Build on that. I don't, I don't think everybody a hundred percent knows what a respiratory therapist is. You know, thankfully for anybody listening to the podcast, who's never had to be inpatient and, or had anybody else go in (laughs) and maybe deal with that. You know, it kind of sounds like if you think respiratory therapist, maybe somebody that just like teaches me breathing exercises. So maybe give us some more background on what that is even. Yeah, you introduced introduced me earlier as doctor. Uh, I'm for for those listening or watching. I'm not a physician. I'm a PhD type of doctor, so just calling me Brady's fine uh, with me. Uh, I don't want to confuse the issue. Um, You're not confused. You earned the title, man. But I'll call you whatever you want. <laughs> Brady's fine. Cool. Um, but a respiratory therapist, you know, we're we're an allied health um, provider that uh, we have various entries to practice, like um, very similar, I I would say it's very similar to nursing. We have an associate degree entry to practice, a bachelor's degree, and a master's level entry, like the program that I'm the program director of. Uh, Our students graduate with a master of science degree. Um, I would say in the grand scheme of things, we're a relatively new profession. And I say that, that we're only about 70 or 75 years old. I think that sounds like a long time, but in, in, I think in professional growth and evolution over the years. It's not really that long. But as it sounds, uh, we deal with people um, that are, you know, deal with lung diseases like asthma and COPD. And if, if you are around for the COVID-19 pandemic, or if you're yeah. aware of that happened, uh, we are the folks that ran those machines, those mechanical ventilators that help people breathe. So that's kind of what we do. One more thing I want to add before we get into the nitty gritty here. I, I, I've traveled internationally recently and people still only associate Chicago with the Bulls, the Cubs and cold. <laughs> <laughs> they all say Windy City, too. Yes. That's the other thing. That's Windy right. City. Yeah, You're like, yeah, I knew that, too. Actually, I knew that part. Mm-hmm. It's not actually about the wind, but we're not going to get into that because it's going to be confusing. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, Brady, uh, treat us like we're a couple of your students and treat our 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 listeners, like we're all your students. So can you give us just like an overview of just like, you know, building blocks, how do our lungs work? And then how do they generally protect themselves from sure. insults? Yeah. Well, let's talk about the purpose of the lungs, right? I think I like to oversimplify things. I'm a very simple yeah. thinker. So the only, um, the, the only reason the lungs exist are to take the air 
around us and to get it in the bloodstream, right? That's what they do. So they, our muscles, some of our breathing muscles, our diaphragm, they help move air into our lungs when we take a deep breath and in rushes the air around us, which has oxygen in it. And the oxygen goes out into our bloodstream. And then the carbon dioxide, which is kind of a, a waste gas, if you will, uh, re enters our lungs. And when we exhale, we exhale it out. And we, and that's how, uh, we keep our bodies alive is breathing in oxygen to help create energy. And we get rid of the bad stuff by breathing out. So, um, the lungs, how they protect themselves, it's really, um, it's really kind of cool, really. I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of gross, too. And we'll talk about that because, you know, I, we have nose hair, right? That's one re- that's one way that we protect it. You know, so nose hair and, and some things like that in our uh, respiratory system helps keep out these big particles and things from going down inside the lungs. And, you know, that prevents things like dust and pollen. And if you've ever been involved in spray painting anything and go to the bathroom and you notice that your nose hairs are white or gray or whatever color your paint you're using, you realize mm-hmm. like, wow, that's kind of gross, but it's, that's, it's doing its job. Right. Um, and then once air keeps moving down based on the size of the particle that's moving through our lungs have this really cool protective mechanism that everybody's aware of, which is called a cough, right? They, it just expels everything out. And things, sometimes they get stuck in the mucus and we have these little hairs and stuff that are inside of our lungs that help propel stuff up and towards the airway so we can cough it out or even swallow it, which I think is the gross part. But, and then, and if stuff keeps and continues to make it all the way down to the alveolar sacs, which are the little breathing sacs down in our lungs, we even have little cells that kind of gobble everything up inside of our lungs that could cause disease. So Really, we go from big nose hairs to smaller, um, smaller little hairs. We call it cilia that you can't even see really with the naked eye all the way down to these cells that gobble things up. So there's a lot of protective mechanisms for the lungs. That's why, you know, in the absence of a disease, we live our lives every day, even when we're around things that are, aren't necessarily healthy for us. That was excellent. I feel like there was a very Miss Frizzle way, magic school bus into the, into the nose. <laughs> The, yeah, you've got to go through the, the nose, right? So it's, <laughs> I love it. I love it. How can this process break down when it's overloaded? So, like in people that have lung diseases like asthma or COPD? Sure. So, um, let's talk about like that system a minute ago that I was talking about. The little, the little, we have these little hair like structures that are inside of our airways. And it's kind of, it's interesting because what happens is we have mucus, which I'm sure everybody on here is listening to. And mucus is actually normal and it's a good part of it having in our lungs. And these little hair things kind of move back and forth. And in individuals that are, that smoke or that are exposed to smoke, for example, um, that normal system of things that kind of escalate things up and out of the airway, uh, it gets, um, for lack of better terms, it, it kind of pauses it or slows it down. And because of that, the secretions can't move the way they should. They can't expel things the way they should. And because of that, we retain a lot of it down in our lungs, which results in infections and, and things like that. So if somebody like, for example, somebody who has smoked a long time and they have emphysema, or maybe you've heard of COPD, mm-hmm. uh, the problem is, is you have this impairment of this normal system. And that because you have this impairment, the you get these pathogens and other things that kind of get the lungs aggravated and it just becomes the situation where um 
you know, the, again, using your term, the, it becomes overwhelmed and you end up with some sort of infections and it just, this process just keeps going on and on. Yeah. And I can imagine as someone who, correct me if I'm wrong, but you still do, uh, uh, in addition to being a professor and teaching, you're still doing one-on-one like critical care. Like, are you working in the intensive care unit and doing all that type of? Yeah, I, I still have some clinical responsibilities. And yeah. I do, I, my background's in adult acute care, critical care. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. I can imagine, you know, maybe with some of these folks that, um, I, I just recall when I did a bit more of inpatient medicine, like when I was in my residency training, you, you tended to see, sadly and unfortunately, some frequent flyers of folks that are patients that you'd see multiple times in the hospital um, yeah. because they had, you know, decompensated bad emphysema or bad COPD. And, you know, you might see them you know, uh, if you, you know, more than once in a, in a year having to be hospitalized because they would get these exacerbations of that disease yep. and not be able to breathe. And we really relied on, you know, the respiratory therapist to come to help do everything we could medically to get all that gunk out of their lungs. And mm-hmm. it just was, I, I'm, I can imagine you would see kind of a similar population of folks that, you know, are kind of teetering on the edge of not being okay. Yeah, that's common. I spent several years of my career in an emergency department environment, mm. and it was very common to see folks that were struggling with respiratory disease uh, come back through our, you know, back through our system all the time. We are, I think, we're getting better nowadays about um, uh, something we call disease management. And when I'm sure everybody, you've probably heard of that before, yeah. those listening. But disease management, we're trying to get better at keeping people home, mm-hmm. and we're really focused on once they do discharge from the hospital to help. Um, do things to mitigate uh, the risk of them coming back into the uh, the hospital because of their lung disease. Uh, for example, somebody with asthma, right? I will tell you that we're pretty darn good and when somebody comes through the doors having an, a- an exacerbation or a worsening of their asthma. Uh, I think something we're trying to get better at is once they leave, uh, making sure that whatever it was that put them in that situation uh, is remedied, you know, for lack of a better term, whether it be, mm-hmm. Hey, let's talk about, um, let's talk about what, what's triggering your asthma. Let's make sure you're taking your medications the right way. So I think we're really doing a better job nowadays versus when I was earlier in my career about making sure patients are, have the tools they need to um, manage their disease at home. I feel like you've done a really nice job of laying out what we're going to talk about in the episode. You've talked about, what it's like to have a normal system all the way from my nose hairs down to my lungs and trying to protect against these, whether I can see them or not, possible pollutants or whatnot getting into my lungs. In addition, you've talked about some diseases, asthma, COPD, these types of things that are are chronic illnesses that people have that may affect their ability to protect themselves. In addition, you actually even referenced things like smoking and you referenced um, spray painting to actual quote unquote pollutants that that you would be inhaling. And so I feel like we're at the point now where I think it would be great to kind of start working our way maybe through some pollutants and maybe talking about what those effects could be. Um, And I think maybe the easiest thing to do would be to start with the ones that are very common and the ones we can see. And so you've already talked about smoking a little bit, but was there anything you wanted to add more about smoking and or secondhand smoking and that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah. So there's smoking that we call firsthand smoking. That's you smoking. Uh, and then there's secondhand smoke, where I think a lot of people are familiar with secondhand uh, tobacco smoking, which is uh, can be terrible for you uh, if you're just sitting beside somebody who's smoking or vaping. Nowadays, vaping is the hot thing. Uh, 
So just being in beside of that's bad for you. But there's also something called third hand smoke. I think probably the less folks are less familiar with third hand smoke is uh, all the things that kind of settle, if you will, uh, like dust on things from the smoke that contain all the toxins and stuff that's in the cigarette smoke as well. So there's first hand smoke, uh, second hand smoke that I think traditionally we could, we we're concerned about in terms of at least our respiratory health. But I will tell you that uh, as a, as a respiratory therapist, as somebody who does patient education and stuff, we also think about third hand smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, especially imagine smoking in a home and children are, rubbing their hands all in things and, you know, and, and they're really getting all these things in their eyes or whatever. So it's really can, can be dangerous. Um, beyond that, I mean, if you want me to go ahead, uh, Jeremy, and move past um, smoking, I mean, if there's other things that are similar to smoking, we got to be concerned about. Yeah. Um, so I'm a son of a coal miner. Mm. And uh, so my dad was a coal miner for, I think, 43 years. My, my, my mom's father, my grandfather, uh, had uh, black lung disease, uh, co-workers, pneumoconiosis. Mm-hmm. I think more commonly where I'm from, it's called, we call it black lung disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's these things called occupational um, lung diseases that are from what you're breathing in all the time. So when you think about a coal miner, that's not an indoor type thing. But, you know, I think about hairdressers, mm-hmm. right? So hairdressers. Uh, they're around these aerosols a lot. Uh, there's some evidence that, you know, people that work in uh, other kind of industries, even dental workers and stuff, if they're not masked right, can can have issues. Yeah. So let's dive in on that. So you got these these exposures that you and I think I don't know me personally, but I'm sure many people would think about coal miners and black lung. And you can kind of think to yourself, OK, the coal is black and there's probably particles coming off and then I'm inhaling them and that's causing a problem. But maybe the aerosols maybe aren't as straightforward because you don't actually see them as, as much floating around. And maybe talk about like, why does it cause a disease? Like what, what physically happens that causes that to be a problem? Sure. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you're bringing in certain kind of irritants or particles that are ultimately leading to inflammation in the lungs Mm. to simplify. And then the inflammation in the lungs, ultimately, if done a lot or over a large period of time, causes some sort of, you know, some like kind of repairing mechanism, which is kind of scarring. The problem is, is, you know, earlier we talked about like what we want is to get the air in in the atmosphere to cross over from our lungs and get into our bloodstream and sometimes when we get the scarring and the irritation inside of our lungs it gets harder for the the oxygen gas molecules and things to move over into the bloodstream which uh really um is which some of those diseases impairs that so you know like it's not unusual for somebody like again using my, my own grandfather for an example uh, he had to use supplemental oxygen because his lungs didn't do well with just the oxygen around him. How much oxygen is typically floating around in the air that we breathe, like if mm. we're just in our home? So th- we call this room air. Like That's mm. a very common medical term, <laughs> even if you will. Like we literally yeah. publish it as room air. It's 21%. Yeah. So tw- about 21% uh, of the gases around you right now are oxygen most of it's nitrogen actually and then there's some just other stuff that's in the air but but 21 percent oxygen yeah yep. and so when people have you know maybe been exposed to these pollutants these irritants that have caused 
chronic inflammation within their lung. And now what was once healthy lung tissue that's full of blood vessels and exchanging things across its little membranes well, now years and years have gone by and that's turned into a lot more scar tissue. Now those people like your like your grandfather can't just hang out on room air and not right. feel like they're drowning, you know, you know, so that's then right. then you've got to have something at home you either wear as a in, in your nose or, you know, over your yep. mouth potentially. That's that gives exactly you right. more than 21%. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, my, my memories of my grandfather were, um, him always on oxygen when I was growing up, you know, from, from just him going to work all the time. It's unfortunate. Right. But it's common. Yeah. And you think about like, when you were talking about third hand smoke, the first thing I thought of was like when, you know, when a, when a a smoker sells their house and they got to, they clean everything out and you wash down the walls and the water just looks brown you know like yes. that's that third hand the same way that like probably your grandpa's clothes were black with coal yep. soot in the same way that a hairdresser's mm-hmm. maybe their their work surface is sticky and tacky from all of the the stuff yep. they're spraying around and it's just like oh my god all that stuff is in your lungs now you know i think that's right. a way to visualize it that is sure uh, a, a bit more maybe yep. impactful that's i right. suppose yeah, sure let's add- Let's add another category because I personally struggle with the thing that Julie loves more than anything on the face of the planet, and that's cats. Um, like <laughs> I, I, let's, say, let's say dander. Sure. I, I was just going to reference that that I am allergic personally to cats. Yeah. However, yeah, let's talk about allergens a little bit. Is it the same type of process? People getting the same type of inflammation or is it different? I think it's a bit different uh, in term, from a immunology side of things. But regardless, if you have... You know, there, there's all kinds of different things like, I wanted to say cat dander, but I thought it was say animal dander, right? I don't know, <laughs> Julie, I'm not picking on cats. This, this is the I, most I progressive in, podcast of all time. Yeah, so Julie, I live uh, I, I live with two cats and a dog. Uh, yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff floating around my house, I, I assure you. Uh, but, you know, that certainly is a trigger for folks um, with uh, those 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 type of things typically bother people with asthma and allergies yeah. to that type of thing. So like, for example, I don't have allergies to that. So I'm not terribly concerned, uh, frankly, about like the air quality like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for somebody with asthma, you know, it's not only just um, what we think of cat or dog hair or dander. We think about even in some, some of the things we think about, again, I, I know this sounds kind of gross for the average listener, but cockroaches are a big mm-hmm. deal. Uh, it's really a serious problem in terms of, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's living with asthma. They need to make sure that they, 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 or their house is cleared of cockroaches. Uh, dust mites are a huge problem uh, that can cause and cause people with asthma to, to be a trigger for them. Uh, pollen, not surprising, but mold and mildew is another thing in the house that we just kind of, we live with and people... Um, don't realize can really cause some serious issues with their breathing. Yeah. It's pretty common actually. And the yeah. mold and mildew again, is that more of the allergen side or is that more of like the particulate, like giving me a lung disease issue? Mm. That to me, I guess would be more of an allergen or more of a, you know, when I think about allergen or irritant, I think that probably would fall more on the allergen side. Mm. And if it doesn't, please edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, think I said it. I'm kidding. Of course. Uh, it's no, very I mean, good though, because I think, I think you've done a nice yeah. job and it's even 
made um, I have a framework in my own head that I'm going to put out that I think may help. But like we think about the silent and maybe silence, the wrong word, the the ones we can't see. Right. The, the, these yeah, things are in right. the air, the invisible stuff that we're breathing. And so some of the stuff yeah. we can clearly see, but third hand smoke. And then in addition, maybe the aerosols. But then you talk about allergens. And so if I'm in a household and I'm worried about my lung health and I don't have any lung disease, right, I don't have asthma, I don't have COPD. I don't really have to worry about the things like cats and dogs. They're not causing harm to me. It's only if I have allergies or, or, or aller, you know, asthma or something like that. But the aerosols or the third-hand smoke can still cause me problems. And so, again, making that clear delineation between what's causing me actual damage versus what is just an irritant and, and, and can cause some symptoms. Yeah, and the other scary thing that exists out there that we can't smell or taste or know about is uh, radon. Hmm. You know, radon is another one of those things that's kind of – unfortunately colorless odorless you don't know if it's in your house uh but if you you know if there's certain states at least here in illinois i know that i had a when i bought my home i had a radon test mm-hmm. it turns out the actual level was uh, higher than it should have been and and had uh and had a system placed in my house that that literally like blows the radon out of out over my roof of the house uh, you know, chronic exposure to that could lead to certain kind of lung cancer. So there's really all kinds of things that uh, that exist. We got to be careful with uh, in terms of our respiratory health. Uh, you know, even some building materials create can create problems for some people, uh, especially those that are sensitive. But again, you know, um, I think to go back, Jeremy, to kind of what your point was earlier, that there are certain things that we can that we can see and we know about and we have to be aware of, like breathing in that harsh coal dust was not good for coal miners and breathing in those harsh chemicals and fumes over time is is bad. Breathing in cigarette smoke is bad. We know uh, now vaping is the big thing that people are, are breathing in that we're very concerned about. I think more of the animal danders and things like that are a bit more problematic for those that are, are, are sensitive to those type of things. So a lot of these we were talking about sort of indoor um, or like things that we have a little bit of control over or, or are in our occupational space. Um, I think, you know, opening up the episode, we were talking about like even just air pollution in general. I mean, I feel like we have a little bit less control over that based on, I mean, maybe where you live or where you decide to exercise when you're, you know, don't, I mean, don't go run around the highway, I suppose. But, you know, how do you, how do, how can we measure those or be aware of maybe some of the ambient or the outdoor pollutant levels? Are there ways that we can be aware of that? So you're talking about the outdoor ones? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's a good question. I think Jeremy mentioned that earlier. Like sometimes you walk outside and you don't really notice what's going on. Um, I have to tell you that my general recommendation for my friends, my family, and for myself is uh, I actually use resources that are like on, a, I don't know if you've heard of a website called airnow.gov. Hmm. Uh, on airnow.gov, you can just, it's A I R N O W.gov, G O V. Uh, and as soon as you open it up, it asks you to put in your zip code. And it's really neat because you just type in your zip code and it kind of can tell you what the air quality is for that day in that area. And what's neat about it is it actually kind of gives you, it's on this numerical scale and it kind of gives you some idea of how bad it is. And especially if you have sensitive lungs, again, thinking about somebody with lung disease, like, uh, 
again, using asthma or COPD or cystic fibrosis or something like that, you know? So if you're, if you're basically, if you're, you know, less than 100 or so, I think most folks are okay. Once you start tipping up above those numbers, you got to start being concerned, especially those uh, that have lung disease. But there's also some air quality when it gets so bad, it's bad for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard to breathe for everybody. Uh, What is just a week ago, probably, uh, not even a week ago from the time that we're talking tonight, uh, New York City had the worst air quality in the world from those Canadian air, those fires. And it was, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it was kind of off the chart. It was, it was like greater than 300. I think 300 is the last color level on that scale. And it's the air quality is considered hazardous at that time. So that's bad for everybody, whether you have lung disease or not, right? As of today, uh, the air quality in New York City is good, and uh, it's mm. at like forty-two point or forty-one. And the air quality in Chicago is not good. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's bad. I think it's bad today in like St. Paul, like mm. like St. Paul, Minnesota. Let me see. let me see. Is that right? No, no, actually, it's actually not. So well, good news for our St. Paul. I was, thinking there was, yeah, I was, I was thinking there, it was somewhere over somewhere else in the Midwest, but maybe I'm sure. wrong about that. I love that Go we're ahead. doing this episode. I really do. Because I, I think it's on a lot of people's minds about air quality index. I think for a lot of people, maybe, I don't know, the largest city in the United States, many thought that wildfires weren't something that they were going to have to deal with That's that. I think okay. that they didn't like that they were happening, but they were like, well, at least we don't have that problem. And the next thing you know, they're covered in, uh, you know, like, bad air quality from fires in Canada. And so now everybody's like, what's this air quality index thing? It says it's really bad, but I look the next day in New York, you know, you looked outside and it didn't look so bad. So like, what should people do when the air quality index is high? I think it depends on whether or not you have sensitivities uh, to poorer air quality. Like for example, again, somebody who lives with lung disease. So somebody who's an asthmatic uh, somebody who might have COPD, uh, pulmonary fibrosis, that black lung, you know, something like that, right? Um, I think that they got to be thoughtful about their day, uh, try to reduce being outside in that, uh, you know, uh, to be uh, maybe not go somewhere if they don't have to go, stay in, stay at home if they can. I realize that's not on everybody's, uh, no, not everybody has that ability. Mm. But stay home if they can with the doors closed, windows closed, if the, you know, um, if you have to go outside, consider wearing a mask of some sort, uh, probably better, the more higher quality mask, the better we are, you're going to be. I think that Jeremy, once it tips up into these higher numbers, then really at the end of the day, all of us have to be concerned about going outside for a run. How about it's just not a good day to work out outside or, mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe today's not a good day to go do yard work or garden outside or something. So just um, staying out of it because it's going to create the irritation and the aggravation in the lung that's going to cause the coughing and shortness of breath. And I think that one of the reasons I like the airnow.gov quantitative system is it it actually kind of gives you some recommendations like this is this is bad for everybody. Uh, this level's bad for those that are sensitive, have sensitivities to this type of thing. Yeah. One of the big questions I had and still have to this moment is 
when it says like for example purple zone is 200 to 300 201 to 300 very unhealthy the risk of health effects are increased for everyone is that talking about i'm gonna have increased health risks on that day if i go outside or am i potentially causing long-term problems if i'm repetitively exposed to that that's a good question i think it's um the way i view this jeremy is in the long term versus short term i think that if you if it's in the purple zone and you have to get out of your car and walk into your building at work, you're probably not going to have long-term effects. You're probably going to cough, you know, be a little aggravated from it, sneeze or whatever, but probably not long-term effect. I think that, you know, lung disease from this type, bad or poor quality air, uh, these things develop with chronic exposure. Uh, Somebody actually asked me, what that meant before in terms of longer term or chronic exposure. And I'm actually not sure I actually know the answer to that. I don't know the data clear enough to, to give a number or how long, but I think it's probably dose dependent, meaning that if you are exposed to really bad air for, um, you know, probably a shorter period of time, if you, it would cause lung disease versus kind of bad air would probably have to cause over a longer period of time. But I actually don't know the, the, how long, one needs to be exposed to this type of thing before lung disease occur. We also have to remember that, you know, individuals are different. Um, you know, I've shared that I have a family members, uh, uh, or a family member that had a coworkers pneumoconiosis. I have other family members that are coworkers that didn't have that mm-hmm. disease. Uh, not exactly sure why, maybe it was a different role, different job, uh, in the minds or something like that, but, or it could be some individual difference between the the person. Yeah. How do we protect ourselves? And you mentioned, you know, uh, using a mask. Um, I mean, I think clearly a lot of us, I mean, <laughs> living through the pandemic are very aware of masks and have had to wear them for a long time. Are there like, say for example, Brady, you know, we had the levels of, uh, of air, air quality that, that New York was experiencing. What what kind of mask would you wear if you had to be outside for an hour for whatever reason? What would you what would be your choice? So some people have recommended using those uh, N95s or KN95s for that type of thing. That's probably a good choice if you have them. I would mm-hmm. at a minimum try to get some sort of a surgical grade mask uh, with a little bit of filtration there. If I had to be out there for quite some time, or you know maybe I maybe I had to work out there. Um, you know, I understand when people say it's hard to breathe in N95s, uh, you're talking to a respiratory therapist. I've been breathing in those things for 20 years for various patient conditions. I, I agree. Uh, but if the smoke is really, you know, if the, the smoke or the things that are in the air is really bad, you have to protect your lungs or it's really going to get you down or you're going to start coughing to be short of breath, be wheezing. So, you know, I think if I had a workout in it or be out in it for a while, I would try to get the best quality mask I could. Um, you know, whether or not a cloth mask or something over the face works probably a little bit, uh, but I would certainly, if I had the option or I had the resources, I would, I would, I would go for, uh, the highest quality, probably N95 I could get if I had to be out in that mess. Gosh, it's so crazy. I feel like before the pandemic, you know, the, the only time I ever thought about wearing an N95 mask was in the hospital for something. I remember we had to get our fit testing done, um, yeah. you know, when I was a medical student and then as a resident and, you know, then I, I very rarely, unless I was in a, a, a patient that was in, um, you know, respiratory isolation, ever really even had to wear it in the hospital. And now it's like, you can order, order a box of 
a hundred of them from Amazon. It's it's maybe yeah. they're not, you're not fit tested for it, but it's crazy that they're just everywhere now because of the the demand was so high. So yeah, I, I don't think it's a terrible idea for folks to just have a few, you know, in the house and put it in your drawer. Yeah. I mean, I do. I mean, I will tell you before the pandemic, I didn't. <laughs> now I have like various types of N95s. If we need them, I have the regular surgical mask. If we need them. It's like a la carte, whatever I decided we would need at the time. Uh, but I mean, they certainly, whatever goes with your outfit. Is that, is yeah, that I think so. Yeah. You know, it looks Louis good. Uh, yeah. Whatever fits best looks good. Matches. That's right. <laughs> You know, it's I interesting. Say that. I, my, it, my daughter and my wife do have really nice looking masks. They're very, yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like I read and, and I can't remember the source. It may have been the New York times, but I, I feel like the re the, the research on whether N95s affect our ability to not consume or, or inhale the stuff that was coming from Canada is actually pretty parse that, mm. that, that we don't actually know how effective that is. And so, and again, I am not the world's expert in that research and that research may be even, it may not be the case, but I think the point I'm trying to get to is that we should still try to not be outside <laughs> that on those like 300 days that the, yeah. the, the, the N95 is for somebody who has to be outside. So right. I don't want somebody yeah. getting overconf overconfident and saying, yeah. well, I got this N95, so now I'm going to do all my yard work because I'm safe because we actually don't, I don't think we know that for sure. I, I 100% agree. And I, I think that's kind of, I, I think I bailed myself out a little bit when I said some people recommend N95s. I, I don't know what else to recommend there. In, in reality, yeah. if you have to be out in it, uh, I, if you know, if it were my loved one, a friend or family member that said, hey, what do you think about me going out and doing yard work? And it's 300. I would be like, let the grass grow. Don't go out yeah. there in it. Try to try to avoid it uh, and just try to minimize the exposure to that as much as you can. And I would strongly recommend that for anybody who, especially those with lung disease, you know, in my profession, I'm, I'm around people quite frequently with lung disease. So I would say, Hey, just this, you have to give it a rest for a few days uh, well, while this air yeah. is so bad. And that's when you see like firefighters are not, they're not wearing an N95 mask. They're wearing complete, you know, yeah, uh, completely right. enclosed systems because they're going yep. into, gosh, I mean, the closest thing I could even think of to having the air quality that people have been experiencing up in Canada, we, there was a, a, a major fire right behind my house in the alley behind my house. It completely burned one house to the ground. And then the two houses next to it were very heavily damaged. And my husband woke me up at six o'clock in the morning because there was smoke in our house, you know, and we thought our house was yeah. on fire and just being wow. exposed. We went outside for a second just to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. And gosh, I couldn't be outside for longer than a minute and a half without it stinging my eyes and hurting my, you know, I couldn't, it was very difficult to breathe. And I can't even imagine, I even think I, I did put on an N95 mask and it didn't feel like a dead jack squat. Right. So, and then by the time, you know, we got back in the house, there was a fair amount of smoke in our house. So um, that leads me into what do you have recommendations or thoughts about, cause that was the first time we had bought an indoor air purifier, which is mm. insane that we have cats and we <laughs> never had one. But I'll tell you, if we didn't have that, our whole basement would have been smoke damaged cause it was, but, and it was very effective. And, but we had a hard time deciding like, what would you, you know, do where do work? you even go to look for one? You know, that's a good and question. Are they helpful? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, <laughs> that's a great question. So there's a lot of things on the market, right? So yeah. first of all, if you have like, um, what do they call it? I guess I, I, my brother's in this industry. So he's good. If he listened to this, he's going to be like, dude, I can't Screaming. believe you're saying this, <laughs> but uh, it's, um, it's like, 
pushed air, like if you have like a indoor air, uh, oh, air conditioning, air? forced air, yeah. Forced air, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you can edit that, if my brother hears that, he's not going to be happy with this. On the- <laughs> now we're not going to get funny. <laughs> <laughs> so forced air, so those yeah. come with filters, right? Sure. So it's makes it's good to make sure those are filtered out. I think if, if I was concerned in my house, I would definitely make sure that I have a fresh filter there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the air purifier situation is probably depends on what you have or the kind you have. I don't think that they're all created equal. I think some of them have like HEPA filtration. They're really fancy mm-hmm. ones with HEPA filtration. The other ones, I'm not even sure how they work. I have one in my house. I'm not sure it does anything to be honest with you. Uh, but if I, if I was actually concerned about the quality, mm-hmm. I would seek out the, the types that probably contain the right kind of filtration that we need, like right. HEPA filters or whatever. I do believe there's mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of different things on the market. So I think it's probably worth looking for the higher quality ones. You know, somebody's asked me before, like, how do you know if indoor air quality is bad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. Um, because unless you have some sort of a complicated instrument, like how do you know if you're breathing something bad? I think a general yeah. rule is, um, this is a very general, but general rule is if you leave your house and your symptoms get better, Mm -hmm. uh keep note and if you go back home and they get worse again uh that's a pretty good indicator there's something in your house that's bothering you and i know that it sounds so simple but in a lot of times until you tune somebody into that they don't really Mm -hmm. pick up on it you know they're not really noticing that you know maybe my house is moldy or maybe it is the cat dander that's a problem maybe i know this again Maybe there is a cockroach or rodent issue that I'm not aware of, and we need to get this looked at. Um, So otherwise, you know, we don't have the instruments just sitting around. It tells us how good of our indoor air quality is. But if you start getting symptomatic and you especially you go to work and you're not symptomatic and then you come home and you are. And that's that's something that requires a little further digging into to see if that might be something that's bothering you. Certainly. Um, you brought up vaping a bunch in the past, uh, mm-hmm. of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Is there like, what about secondhand vaping? Is that something that like, do we know anything about that? I honestly don't know the answer. So, um, I've read some about secondhand vaping the general, the general things you read about are, it's probably not good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And yeah. you're like, no surprise there. Uh, I, unfortunately, uh, Jeremy, I think that, um, the 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 literature still being yeah uh, collected you know the data still yeah. being collected the literature still waiting to be published on even somehow in the first the first hand versions there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, case studies there's a lot of other reports of certainly some lung diseases and, and some things that have have been attributed to vaping uh, I haven't read much about the second hand uh, yeah. vaping. You know, I, as a respiratory therapist, when somebody asks me, is um, vaping safe? I, I answer things like this. It's safe to breathe clean air. Mm-hmm. The lungs were built mainly to breathe clean air. And outside of that, I don't think a lot of things are, <laughs> you should be putting things that are flavored peach in those things in your, in your right. uh, air that have all these chemicals and nicotine and all those things in your lungs. It's just probably not a good idea. It, there's kind of an analogy, right, Julie, to our alcohol talk our mm-hmm. a, episode of like, there's just not a single drop of alcohol that's actually good or safe for you. And right. it's, it's like a, it's a risk benefit ratio. And again, the bigger difference here now too, is that 
you know, alcohol has a filtration system within your body where you're, you know, putting it in and you have to swallow it and then your GI tract has to absorb it and it has to go through the liver and all this other stuff. And your lungs just don't really have that. Once you've vaped and put it all the way down to your lungs, you've kind of already bypassed everything. Um, yeah. So you, it's a weaker entry point and probably can cause damage a lot faster. Yeah, we, we certainly know everybody, you know, everybody knows that cigarette smoking is, 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 ter- is really bad for your health. Um, and, you know, I know people that have converted to vaping and my, my concern is, you know, when I've heard a, a high school family member of mine telling me that every single day in his high school, when you go to the, when you go to the restroom, there's people in the restroom vaping every single day. And these uh, young folks are trading these things like, you know, like baseball cards, you know, just mm-hmm. trading these cartridges, it just concerns about nicotine addiction uh, the, how often people are smoking uh, or vaping, you know, the thing about it is, is like, if you're a high school student and you're, and you're smoking cigarettes, you could smell it. People, you know, it's almost like you gotta hide it, but if you're mm-hmm. va- they're vaping, I think more often, I, mean, I just, I, just I, mean, I get concerned about the youth that are starting with the vaping, mm-hmm. thinking that it's a safe thing to do. I get very concerned about them. Yeah, it's interesting you bring at that point, Brady, because, yeah, there's sort of a social, like, stigmatization of smokers. Like, it, it is That's harder right. in a lot of places in America to smoke. Like, you're not allowed to be indoors or, you know, there's, you know, you have to go out and be this far away. I know this far enough away from the hospital to be even be able to smoke. And then, yeah, like, I think it's socially just thought of as, like, it's gross to smell like cigarettes. And it's not as cool as it was even when we were, you know, quote unquote cool. And then we were growing up. And that's those are wonderful, great you know, things, but I, I, I think I never even thought about that way of like, yeah, you, you're not going to smell like vape. <laughs> you could, you could just vape all day long if you wanted to. And I think you're right. Maybe that dose dependence of, you know, becoming more and more and easily dependent on nicotine or whatever else is in the solutions that you're inhaling into your lungs. Yeah. I think this, it leads into some, you know, talking about myths and misinformation about lung health that like vaping maybe isn't as harmful to our lungs as regular tobacco smoking. And I think there's a fair amount of data out there that would suggest that's not the truth and it's not a safe alternative. Yeah. We're already seeing like, you know, this, uh, you've probably heard of this popcorn lung, this like bronchiolitis Mm -hmm. type thing. And there's been some other, uh, you know, some other reports of pneumonias that are vape, uh, vape induced or vaping related, uh, even, uh, pneumothorax or pneumothoraces, uh, that are associated, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't, though I'm a respiratory professional per se, I guess, I, I, I don't pretend to be a, an expert in this vaping and uh, data or literature. I, yeah. That's not something I keep up with a whole lot of. But uh, my concern is, is that we don't quite know yet uh, some things. And I think that it's kind of, again, um, back to <laughs> the, how I drew that, what uh, the mentioning the coal mining, you know, it's like, uh, you know, some people don't get black lung disease, although they were coal, they mined coal. Um, you know, we, you don't vape just for a little while and, and, and have chronic lung disease maybe. So maybe we're going to find out later, uh, you know, some of these either cancers or lung disease that are secondary to, to um, vaping. And that's why I said, I, I get really concerned about the younger folks that are looking at this as something that's not so dangerous. I, uh, I, I, I've, true concern about that about their future there's there's one other uh uh, myth or misinformation i was looking up things online about you know like 
misinformation about lung health. And, and there was some, a lot of people talking about detoxing your lungs by inhaling steam. <laughs> do you, do you think there's any credence to that as a respiratory therapist who's been doing it for 20 plus years? No. I have never heard that my entire career. <laughs> okay, good. And today would either. be the first day I've ever heard we could detoxify with steam. I mean, yeah. listen, don't get me wrong, right? So let me, uh, for what it's Play worth. Play devil's advocate. Yeah. Yeah, for what it's worth. I mean, you know, when, when we put, it's not steam, but we, we do use warm humidified gases for mm-hmm. our patients all the time. Um. Uh, you know, when I put somebody on a high flow nasal cannula system with their short of breath, that's warm to 98 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees Celsius. It's fully um, humidified with at 100% relative humidity. So listen, having um, warm humidified air uh, going down the lungs, that's good for the mucus. It's good for uh, all kinds, you know, it's it's not a bad, uh, yeah. but, but I've never... That's the first time I've ever heard of detoxifying the <laughs> Yeah, but, but draping your face over a steaming... Uh, uh, I don't uh, recommend it, no. Thing. <laughs> yeah, I, a, not, a pot of not, water with a... Don't do it, okay. It, well, yeah, it's I mean, not tra- part of something I've recommended before, I can tell you that. <laughs> Excellent. Tra- trans- translation, it's not bad to have warmed, humidified air, but it's probably not making up for the bad habits that you have, like vaping or smoke. Like, you can't go That's do something right. bad, it's steam, and then all of a sudden be like, it's not going to be that big a deal because I'm steaming. That is a perfect translation. You can't smoke a cigarette and come back in and steam it out. That doesn't right. work. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Excellent. We laugh, <laughs> we, we, we laugh at some, some, some med spa or somewhere that's, that's being advertised like crazy and people will do it and pay for it. Yeah. Another um, debunking would be like that our individual choices. So like, you know, using renewable energy sources or minimizing our use of transportation with combustion engines or avoiding burning firewood or trash don't really make a difference for air quality. And I'm of a, of a, of a mindset that, you know, um, we shouldn't blame ourselves with our individual responsibility for, for air pollution. We don't ha- you know, there's a lot of other big major factors systemically at play there the same way there is for, you know, uh, you know, climate change and problems like that. But I do think that I think something to debunk or to hammer home is that we can make small choices in our own lives that can make air quality better for everybody. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts about that, Brady. Not sure. I mean, listen, I, I have admit, you know, I, one of the things I'm, I'm proud to say and that I come from a line of hard work and coal miners, and, you know, I that was raised that way and that's how my college was paid for. And that was the way food was on my table and those things. Mm-hmm. But we have to keep in mind that, you know, this stuff does create problems. Uh, it, it does create some sort of a situation that even if people are around those places, they live around those places that's emitting these things into the air, it's creating um, an, an air quality problem for them. It's making them very difficult to breathe. Uh, so I think, I think we could all at some point, you know, just think that, you know, try to reduce the amount of these emissions in whatever way we can, or try to move towards using resources that are cleaner. I think we can all move in that direction as we get comfortable with it. Right. I mean, you think about like, you know, when, when electric cars, you know, they first come out, we're all kind of looking at them like, how does that, how's that working? But I think that once we all get more and more comfortable with being able to depend on them and, knowing how to charge their tank or 
battery or whatever and all that stuff, I think ultimately we'll all get there and we'll get there together and get there slowly, keeping in mind that, you know, I'm certainly not an expert in, in cl- climate change, but you just think about air quality itself, you know, just mm-hmm. moving, doing things to create a healthier environment for us all to live in. I think that's reasonable. And that's coming from somebody who comes from a whole family of coal miners. And I've even worked during that in that industry when I was in college. And so I think that, again, like you said, it's not a blame. It's just kind of like, you know, we can all move that way as as things we get comfortable and and things are don't interrupt our lives as much as we think they're going to. You put out a couple, you, you talked about the website with the air quality, um, um, airnow.gov. Are there other places that you send people for resources on if they want to stay healthy with their lungs, if they're trying to look up things, impact of pollutants, anything you, good resources for people? Yeah, I mean, I will tell you that I'm a career respiratory therapist, and sometimes I go right to the American Lung Association to, to read up on things. Uh, that, I think that's a, they have an excellent uh information about occupational lung disease that we've been talking about. They have excellent information on clean air. They got excellent information on how to stop smoking, which is not easy to do at all. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a place I go to, you know, in terms of like air pollution, I, I only the reason I know this because I've been looking at it a lot lately because of the Canadian fires, like the EPA has some great uh, information on there about um, indoor and outdoor air quality um yeah i think that you know i was even uh, google searching some things earlier and, and there was something from harvard you know that had about uh, indoor air quality i think there's a lot of things just from a google search but de- certainly the american lung association is somewhere i would say that is reputable all right i think we sh- i think we should wrap up julia i gotta go check my air purifiers <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> one of my real quick the air purifier that my husband brought after that we had that the fire um behind us uh it's interesting because it it has a little a light on it like if it's if your air if the air quality is good it's green um and if it's you know yellow it's yeah, okay and then if it's red it's bad and i swear to god there was a while that i was when i would walk by it it would turn red i was like this thing's mad at me it thinks like, i have the same I'm one polluting the air. I have the same one. I swear it's more red than it is green and I feel like it's broken or I live in the grossest place ever. I don't know what's up with it. I'm like, is it, is it, should it be like that? Yeah. I have one of those. I don't know. I think it's our, I think it's our animals, man. (laughs) Yeah. It could be. This was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll link to um, those resources in our show notes um, as well, but this was, this was, this was great. And uh, again, I think it's great when we have some of these more topical things that are happening in the world and the news, and then we can um, hone it down into hopefully a a meaningful um, amalgam of information about just how to, you know, protect our respiratory health and what better person than, than you, Dr. Scott to come on and and, and talk to us about that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. So um, I think I got, I think I got, I cobbled together an outro. We'll see. Can always count on you. All right. Let's minimize exposure and protect our lungs, but don't forget you can't detox your lungs by inhaling steam. Listen to your doctor friends. <laughs> the amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. 
This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest of the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.